I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, listeners. It's Esther again, um, sadly without Sarah today, but with Susanna Newfield, our interviewee, who is going to be talking to us today about a book she's written, which I feel will be phenomenally valuable to all parents in the world. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, before we get started, uh, of course, this is the fourth trimester podcast. I want to remind listeners that we have um, our webpage, fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. We have our Facebook presence. Um, it's wonderful to be getting your feedback and uh, your love. And I recently even got an, a request from somebody who's nine weeks pregnant uh, to find out whether or not I could find her a doula in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is just adorable. Of course, I cannot, but um, doesn't mean she won't find somebody. If if you listeners know of somebody, get on the Facebook page and get on the get to this gal, <laughs> help her find a doula. Um, so today, um, what else can I tell you? Oh, also, it would be super lovely if any of you uh, could um, become a Patreon sponsor, just even if it's just a dollar a show. When you subscribe, it would really, really help us out. We're, we're always probably going to be in the red but it would sure be nice to defray some of the expenses that are coming out of our pockets to do this podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to give a little deeper introduction of Susanna, and then we're going to launch in. So Susanna is an MFT, and these are fancy letters, a C-I-A-Y-T, which I'm pretty sure has something to do with yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. She's a licensed psychotherapist, yoga therapist, mother of two, who has specialized in supporting people coping with eating disorders, body image concerns, anxiety, and pregnancy and early parenthood since 1902. Sorry, 2003, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she's co-founder of Rockridge Wellness Center in Oakland, California. The book that she's written is entitled Awake at 3 a.m., which I love that title, and I'm going to say why. I have been working with postpartum clients for decades now, and one of the things I tell them about my practice is that you are welcome to call me at any time you need, uh, because I still remember 3 a.m. Oh. 3 a.m. is a big thing. I don't know why, but it is. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can say that I went into labor precisely at 3 a.m. both times. And I remember feeling desperately, desperately alone 
and anxious at 3 a.m. with newborns. So 3 a.m. is a big deal. So good, good choice for this title. So Susanna, I'm going to hand it over to you. Of course, you know, I will jump in when I feel necessary and um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the writing of this book for us. Sure. Um, thank you for that introduction and, and the sisterhood I feel with you around the 3 a.m. piece. <laughs> I fought, I fought hard for that title. I love, it just came in my head and I felt like it had to be that, um, because that 3 a.m. piece was such a big deal for me. Um, let's see, I guess I would share that, you know, my experience, um, I, I never knew that pregnancy and postpartum was a time period that I was going to be very interested in as a therapist. I'd been working primarily with people with eating disorders, body image issues, anxiety, substance abuse, um, until I became pregnant myself. And I was also a yoga teacher and doing lots of yoga. And I had this idea that pregnancy was going to be this really incredible experience. And I was going to be this sort of glowing yoga mama. Um, and then when I was about five weeks pregnant with my first daughter, um, I became really sick. Uh, I had hyperemesis and was throwing up constantly. And, and that really threw me into a pretty profound depression. Um, I, I started to have feelings like almost like there was a parasite inside of me that was making me so sick. And I had really dark thoughts about, you know, wanting to die because I felt so terrible, um, until I was able to kind of, with the help of a wonderful, um, OB, get some really good medication, which made it not better, but more tolerable. Um, and so that was a really big transformation for me in how I thought about pregnancy. And when I was about 15 weeks pregnant and kind of had finally gotten on this balance of um, Zofran and things like, which I know they don't even prescribe necessarily anymore, but mm-hmm. um, thank God I had it. Uh, I decided to go back to yoga and I went um, to my first yoga class um, with someone who maybe some of your listeners know, or maybe you've interviewed Jane Austen. Yeah. Of course we have. Yes. <laughs> of course you have. Um, amazing Jane. And, um, and I went to her class and I just walked in and I, I sat down with her and I burst into tears and was like, I can't move. I can't move. I don't even know why I'm here. Cause I'll probably throw up if I try to do yoga. I've been in a ball on my couch and yoga has always been my coping mechanism. And she was so warm and welcoming and just said like, you can sit down the whole time. You can be in child's pose. She gave me a breathing practice that I could do. And she said, you know, you just have to be in the room with the other moms and, you know, know that you're not alone. And it was like the balm for my soul, um, hearing her say that and getting to be in that room. And that was kind of this light bulb for me that yoga in a very different way than how yoga had been a meaningful part of my life before was going to be sort of this thing to help me get through the dark times in this pregnancy. And, and it was, and I continued to really use the practice as a grounding to get through the darkness and to come out the other side. Um, and so that was kind of how yoga and, and motherhood came together a little bit for me. 
Um, with all of that, I was actually able to feel a lot better by the end of my pregnancy and have a really lovely time postpartum with my first, which made me expect that's what it would be like with my second. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations. Yes. 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 (laughs) And then with my second, um, what many people do, which no one should do, but everybody does, um, we moved and did a remodel of the new place we were moving to while I was pregnant. And we moved, um, you know, about 40 minutes away, 30 to 40 minutes away from our amazing community. Um, you know, when I was about eight months pregnant with my second. So then she was born and she had colic and I had been used to living in San Francisco where I could walk everywhere and didn't ever have to get in the car and could be out and about all day to living kind of in the Berkeley Hills, which, um, if, people don't know the area. It's almost like being in the woods and it's these windy roads and it's very hard to know your neighbors. It took some time and it was very lonely. And I realized, you know, with my first that when, um, you know, she would wake up and then she would go to sleep and I could sleep when she slept. But with the second seven o'clock came and even if the baby was asleep, my older daughter needed me to be up with her and take her to school and, you know, give her a lot of that love and care that she needed and deserved and that I wanted to give her. And the exhaustion was really quite profound. Um, and really I had a, a, a dark episode, um, of postpartum depression and anxiety. And even though I had been treating people actually for this for some time, I couldn't recognize that was what was happening. I sort of thought I was just becoming a bad mom, um, and a grumpy person and a bad wife and, and a hypocrite, you know, because here I am like being compassionate to other people, but I felt none for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, you know, because driving felt really scary to me at the time on these little windy roads to put a baby in the car, yoga became kind of a, a tool for me. I, I always call it my well of sanity. Um, and I could practice that at home in sort of small moments, even practicing things like meditation with my baby with me. And, um, and so again, yoga sort of helped guide me through that amongst many other things like therapy and things like that community, but yoga was a big part of it for me. So that's where that comes from. And then, you know, actually as that time period was, I don't even know ending, but somewhere as it was getting a little bit better, um, uh, an old friend who worked at this publishing company approached me and she knew about my work teaching pre and postnatal yoga. And she said, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in, um, you know, writing a book proposal for a book about mindfulness and pregnancy and postpartum. And I was like, well, I have postpartum depression right now. I'm barely working. I'm just, you know, I actually was at the meeting with my baby, like breastfeeding in a restaurant. Um, I said, I don't know if I can write this book now. Could I do it next year? And I'd always wanted to write a book. I love writing. Um, and she's like, no, we need you to write it now. If you, if you want to put the book proposal in now's the time. And she helped me put the book proposal in and they, um, accepted it, which was kind of this really big honor. Um, and then in writing it, you know, I was trying to just write this sort of book for everyone about mindfulness and pregnancy and, and two things happened in that process. I thought, well, for me, it wasn't just mindfulness. It was really yoga. So I 
sort of begged and pleaded, can we change the book from being about mindfulness to also yoga or mm-hmm. primarily yoga? But also it was hard for me to write a book that was really like motherhood is this blissful, amazing time. And, and it was everything I wrote felt really dark. And I kind of got that feedback a few times, I think from the first sort of edits looking at it. And I realized, I said, look, I work with women with postpartum depression and anxiety. I have, this is my experience. And I want to bring light to that and to say this messy stuff isn't to be put off in a corner, but it can be a really integral part of what that experience is. And it doesn't, we don't have to be scared to look about at it and talk about it. And I want to talk about it, um, in the context of yoga and to say like, you're not alone. We can put all this stuff out in front of us and we can use it to kind of wake up parts of ourselves and to find our spirituality and find our, um, knowledge of ourself. And so, and some sanity and some sanity, in in the face of the reality, yes, the reality that this shit is real. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being mother to children isn't a bliss fest. Yes, um, for them or us. Yes, and that that this ridiculous overlay of sugar icing is damaging. Yeah, to all of us. Yes, right. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. My, these, my <laughs> listeners hear me talk like this a lot, but yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel so strongly about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. That. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm done as I'm happy to hear you are, Susanna, mm-hmm. with the cultural messaging from who publishers and editors. Like, you know what this is about. You're telling me how to write the book about what I know. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't submit a book that I was 98 point done with because yeah. I was getting that kind of yeah crap from the world. Like, yes. like they know something about how I should talk about this mm-hmm. thing. Yes. It's frustrating. It's frustrating, but it was actually, I mean, I will say, I think the process of writing the book was really healing for mm-hmm. me and sort of being able to stand up for that and to speak about, yeah. you know, identify what it was I really wanted to say. And almost, I feel like, was writing it for myself to kind of be mm-hmm. compassionate to myself, but also to my clients and to other people to be able to, to advocate for that. Excellent. Felt like accessing this really important and powerful version of anger. Yes. Um, the first good for you. I mean, thank you. good that you had that, that inner support for that. Thank you. It's really excellent. Uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting that I think even in the marketing I think it was hard. The first take that I got of the marketing, I think it was like the first blurb they put on Amazon for the pre-orders. You know, the, I think the person who had written it hadn't read the book at all. And what they had written, I will never forget the first sentence was, even mothers who have um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders can feel blissful through the practice of yoga. And I almost threw <laughs> the computer across the room. I'm like, that's the opposite message of the book. The message yes. of the book is that we can accept all the messy stuff and yes. we can find a way to be with ourselves and to open and be welcome to the fullness of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, yeah. 
this is so wonderful. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm never happy for people that they've gone through dark periods. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, having gone through loads, right? Like, oh, no, there's something very, very powerful in, in moving into and through and beyond that. Yeah. Again and again, even, you know, yeah. of course your response each time you find yourself there again is, God damn it. <laughs> I thought I was done with this. Yeah. And then you get to move, you know, then you get to get on. Yeah. Right. As well. And, and, and develop new. skillfulness around what is this inner work that I'm doing? Right? Yes. And, and what are the, what are some tools that might help me? I want to circle back to the thing that you said about walking into Jane's yoga class because, um, uh, I, it put me in mind of, um, my son was probably three and a half when, uh, his, Dad told me, you know, after the holidays, I'm moving out, right? Yeah. And this is after months of me saying, you know, we're really having difficulties and it'd be really good if we saw a family therapist Mm -hmm. and hearing, well, I'm happy. You're not, you're the one who's not happy. You should do it. Right. So this, (laughs) right. This was the thing that was going on. And you know what? He might be right. He might be right that he was happy and I was unhappy and I was the one who needed it. Mm -hmm. That didn't get a good response from me. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't, that was not my idea of what needed to be happening. And so I was even more resentful. And in any case, um, this whole, thing that was unraveling was very difficult and, you know, I added difficulty on top of difficulty. And I had sort of the wherewithal to sign up for a community college yoga class. I was like, I'm just going to do this one thing for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) one thing. And the first three classes, I basically sat there in a puddle, like that's what I could do. And in, in, you know, this is in 1988. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the instructor was phenomenal. She happened to be an MFT. Ah. Go figure, right? And she just allowed for it and didn't draw undue attention to me. So I felt safe. And, um, you know, gradually I was able to be more and more present for myself in the yoga, in the yoga Mm -hmm. and it kind of saved my life. So I'm, you know, uh, nobody called it yoga therapy back then that I know of. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a thing. (laughs) It's a real thing. Yeah. And I've done, and that's a recurring theme. I mean, the yoga practice I've been in now for almost 20 years was me showing up to this thing at a, at a very, very desperate time of my life, you know, and, um, starting from there Yeah, and being allowed to start from there Yeah, with no judgment. Yes. You know, it's funny when we're talking about kind of how motherhood is marketed and I often, Um, draw a lot of parallels to how yoga is marketed. There's Mm. so many parallels with just yoga as a metaphor for motherhood. But I think yoga is often marketed. We like when we think about it, we think of these sort of like people on the front of a magazine and people doing acrobatics. Mm -hmm. And 
that actually, I think, alienates people, makes them not want to try yoga or say, yeah, they'll <laughs> say to me, like, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Like, that's not the point. But also, yeah. <laughs> you can get more flexible from doing yoga, but yeah. that's also not the point. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that, that it, it creates this idea that, that yoga is something that's just for the body when actually that, that experience that you're describing of yoga being a place where you can cry and yoga being a space for you to be present with whatever state you are in right now. You don't have to be calm. You don't have to have a clear mind. You don't have to be already evolved or ever evolved, but you can meet yourself where you are. That's, I don't know what the picture would be. Maybe there is no picture, but that's what should be on the cover of, of the yoga magazines. It's like somebody on a mat crying. I mean, that's really, (laughs) that's what the practice is. And that's, what's the most beautiful part about it. I think much better than, you know, being able to drop back into a backbend or something like that. Yeah. Oh, and you know, the first 10 years of yoga was me finally coming to realize what, um, what a, you know, bronc rider I am like, you know, I actually need to soften up Mm-hmm. I, I do yoga fiercely. Like <laughs> I need to like be nicer to my body yeah. and, and my mind. Right. Like, and, and now I'm sure readers or listeners are thinking it took you 10 years, Esther. Oh my God. Like I can't even get started if it's going to take that long. Well, I didn't even know that was the project. Yeah. I found that out in your sin. Yeah. Not, you know what I mean? Like but, and you get to been. find out things in yoga that you might never know about yourself. Otherwise yeah. that's the inner work of yoga. And, um, and you get to surprise yourself. I keep surprising myself. And oh, and there's felt, that. <laughs> yes. And you must've felt, I think you must've felt something really, powerful about it along the way to keep you there for 10 years. So it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like it was terrible for 10 years and then something transformational happened, no. but it's a gradual process of that, that time to study yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've got one life we can study or not study. Yes. Right. It's yes. a choice. Yes. And there's, and the other thing I love that my fantastic private yoga instructor, and when I say private, I mean small class, mm-hmm. right? She's not attached to any of the venues that procure yoga, mm-hmm. right? Like she says again and again, oh, just that, that, um, the yoga teaches, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, we tend to think we're learning yoga. Mm-hmm. And of course there's that aspect of it all but we're we're learning this connection that we have in several directions and from several directions to the self the large self yeah you know um, a lot of small self work gets to be done in the process of connecting to the large self yeah i that's fascinates and interests me in it all Mm -hmm. and has kept me every every class Mm -hmm. I've missed four classes in 10 years wow yeah so so tell us a little bit about um can you I know we want to talk about the book but before we do that Mm -hmm. what can you tell us about um 
being a yoga therapist? Like maybe what does that look like a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think you said earlier kind of, well, we didn't call it yoga therapy. And so I think it's important to say, I don't think what you do in yoga therapy is all that different than what you do when you're doing yoga in general. I think yoga therapy can actually be a lot of things, but yoga therapy is sort of the application of those with the intention of it being about healing um, and about body or mind. And yoga therapists can be from a lot of different disciplines. There are people who've studied yoga um, deeply, so they're usually yoga teachers already, and then frequently have another discipline, like they're also a physical therapist or a medical doctor or an acupuncturist or a chiropractor. And then in my case and many others, a psychotherapist. And there's so many models for how people bring that in. And I always love hearing how different people do it. Um, you know, what it looks like for me, it's often integrated into um, talk therapy, but it's coming up with tools with a client in session that help them do that work of self-study and then also kind of address what's going on with them um, in their body and in their mind where they might want different practices to help bring about balance. Mm -hmm. So it might look like, you know, they're talking about feeling really, really um, heavy and uh, depressed. Like it's almost hard to move across the room and to get up and do anything feels like dread and overwhelmed, so tired. And, and so what yoga therapy in that case might look like is talking about, okay, what can we do to let you not feel like you have to come across the room to do a practice, but something that can really let you nourish yourself in that spot. So perhaps learning, um, some, we call restorative yoga poses or yin yoga poses where you're, um, you know, lying in a pretty restful position and very supported and you can breathe easy and there's nothing to quote unquote do. Um, just let yourself be, take the pressure off mm -hmm. for a piece of time. Or if they have their baby in their arms all the time to come up with what are some really gentle breath practices that you can um, experience while you're with your baby in that moment, even if your baby's crying. So you don't feel like, okay, to do something to help myself, I have to put on yoga clothes. I have to roll out the mat. I have to take the toys off the floor. Yes. I have to find 90 minutes. Yeah. Like by the time you get the clothes yeah. on and everything else, like the baby's pooped all over you, you can't do anything. So it's finding things that work with what's happening and meet you there. It could also look like even with that same person, they're saying, okay, I've been doing this restful thing over and over. And it almost pulls me down a little bit more. And it could look like talking about, okay, what's happening energetically with that. Maybe actually what needs to happen is that we need to kind of do call opposite action and pick something that's going to bring in more energy. Mm -hmm. um, and so we come up with some active things that they can do. Again, it could be something that's just for two minutes. One that so many of my clients find really powerful is something almost anyone who's ever taken a yoga class knows, which is warrior two mm -hmm. pose and playing with doing that um, in a dynamic way where you're moving in and out of the pose and connecting with breath that can sometimes bring a sense of strength and energy into their body that they didn't have access to when they were kind of feeling low. Mm -hmm. So that's just some examples. It could look so many different ways and you know, yoga, the practice of yoga can encompass so many different practices that it often doesn't 
have movement or asana poses at all, but it's more about mindfulness really, or the cultivation of different qualities like compassion, um, patience, kindness, acceptance. Um, and then sometimes it's also lifestyle pieces, you know, like really getting in the nitty gritty and helping someone figure out this, where it sort of does a, a Venn diagram with kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, but talking about like, how are we going to get you more sleep or how are we going to yes. help you connect with the people in your community? Mm-hmm. Right. There's the yoga piece, get connection so mm-hmm. that you have more help. Mm-hmm. Or how are we going to help you call a postpartum doula and get some help? Or if you don't have um, the resources for that, how are we going to get you different ways in the community for low fee services? How are we going to get you more sleep tonight? How are we going to deal with issues around um, breastfeeding and bottle feeding and decision making and and help you find a way to do it that feels more supportive mm-hmm. for you? So it really can be many, many different things. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, how much of, I'm just curious about this. How much of this is support for helping parents, assuming they're not single Mm -hmm. and bereft of support and community at all, um, learn, where they're communicating from when they need to be better resourced, like in a, in the project of being parents together. Do you ever work with that as a, a kind of a baseline issue that people are working with? Do you, can you tell me what you mean by how that, where they're communicating? Oh, I, from? I think that so often, um, you know, I'm working with parents in the first weeks and they've just, you know, had, a major transition and they're in a major healing and recovery phase. Um, and all of their assumptions about what it was going to look and feel like have been blown yeah. out of the water. But, you know, there are lots of ways that people cope with that, right? They, they hew to the image mm-hmm. <laughs> or they hew to the disaster that it isn't, right. Of what it isn't anymore. Right. Um, and they may have come to it as a couple with very different images Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And almost certainly Susanna, the partner who did not give birth Mm -hmm. has a really limited concept of the experience of the person who did. Yes. So we've got this critical mass of um, potential dysfunction. Yes. If I may call it that. Yes. Right. So, you know, probably by the time people realize they need to see someone like you, Mm -hmm. they've kind of that tidal wave has hit and it's kind of washed up on the beach and and sort of dispersed and soaked into the, the sand. And now they're mucking around. Mm-hmm. in the sand yeah. right like <laughs> yeah um so i i'm just curious like 
do you ever find cause to be working with couples around all of this? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am a a licensed marriage and family therapist by (laughs) training. And though I mostly do individual work, I actually, I think about things a lot in systems. I, as often as possible, not actually just with my kind of maternal mental health clients, but my eating disorder clients um, too, as much as possible. I like to bring people's partners in or other family members or even um, friends Mm -hmm. to all be in the room and kind of making space for someone who maybe hasn't been able to articulate what their experience is and maybe even needs the therapist to be, or me to be a little bit of an advocate and kind of helping them, helping explain what's going on Mm -hmm. in that situation. But yeah, I, I do think think one of the things that's the hardest, and I can certainly say this was my experience, is that when, when one, when you're going through something, the assumption is that someone else knows what you're going through. And then if they aren't, um, treating you the way that you think you would obviously treat someone going through what you're going through, you can feel really angry at them when actually they may not have any idea what your internal experience is. Mm -hmm. And that, Um, you know, I think something I always like to kind of call attention to is actually that rage is a really common symptom of postpartum depression and anxiety that people don't usually know is a symptom of that. They think like, I just turned into a terrible mean person. I'm like terrible wife or partner, whatever it is. I can't believe, you know, I just yell all the time and I'm like an evil person. And it's actually a symptom of this, Mm -hmm. this feeling. Whereas I just was pissed off at everybody because they were so damned incompetent when it came to being any kind of sport. Right. Like I actually feel and did feel um, that really what's wrong with this world. Yeah. That it cannot find a way to give a modicum of nourishment, support and respect for the need for sleep to somebody who's raising a baby. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that forever. Why is that? Why is my anger the dysfunction? Right. Why is that yes. the thing that gets treated? That's very true. <laughs> That's very right? true. Like the anger is just the energy up under otherwise feeling quite collapsed yeah. around I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. I'm breastfeeding 24, you know, yeah. right. The anger was the little bit of Rajas, oh, right? Yes. The yogic term, like the energy that would come up well up under yeah. this state of collapse to kind of advocate for advocate me. for yourself sure um and and of course it was met with why aren't you a nice mommy right to everybody right everybody right particularly the partner yes i well, couldn't tolerate it Sorry. i know i think it's yeah. so i mean it's interesting i you're don't tolerate this up because, it to this day yeah i'm not good with that good <laughs> we need more of that but I, I mean i think this is something i struggled with so much when i was writing this book because mm-hmm. i have i also was feeling that exact same anger that you're describing mm-hmm. and not just for myself but kind of in my work mm-hmm. and um as a person in this world <laughs> and especially with everything that's been happening um in in the us in the last um years and <laughs> or not happening in terms of support for mothers mm-hmm. and and, and I struggled. And I mean, fathers. I think fathers have the same, you know, they're, they're in, in you know, um, col- the culture says, if you're a man, be angry. Yeah. Don't be depressed. Be angry. Yeah. Right. And therefore, we see a lot of intimate partner violence mm-hmm. 
directed from an equally bamboozled, overwhelmed, sleep deprived, and yes, and yes, you know, per, you know, partner. Yes, um, it, it's a very sad and, and difficult situation. Yes, and I know there's new stats coming out that men actually experience postpartum depression almost in rates that are comparable mm-hmm. to women, but. But I think the thing that I, that I struggled with actually writing this was here, I'm writing a book that's like, here's some tools for you, mom. And, and am I asking somebody to become, use these tools to become complacent, to like be calm mm-hmm. in a world that you actually shouldn't be calm with. It's like one of the things that drives me nuts is when I see like books about mindfulness or yoga to help you be more productive at work. Like, like the point of this is to make you into an automaton, yeah. <laughs> like doesn't right. realize like I shouldn't be working 60 hours a week. There's like yes. no, no amount of uh, meditation will make me not stressed out when I'm in an impossibly stressful situation, whether that's working too much or that's like, you know, I'm living um, in poverty and yeah. um, without any resources. Like you can't de-stress yourself when you, when stress is the normative, like the healthy reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And so I really did struggle with this of like, am I asking people to do something instead of putting my efforts towards changing the society so that maybe they would feel more cared for? And, and I just held that a lot in the process, especially around the world. One of the, one of the different title names that was getting kind of discussed, um, with, with an editor was like, what was calling it like something like self-care or survival guide. And I, I just hate the term self-care because I think that the implication of the term self-care is nobody else is going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And our culture is and not going to take not care of you. Ask. You shouldn't ask. There will be no paid parental leave. Yeah. There will be no reasonably priced childcare, especially yeah. here in the Bay area. Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't bug other people and ask for things. Why haven't you figured it out, you know, by this time? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason you're supposed to do the self-care isn't for yourself. Right. It's so that you're better for everybody else around you. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. it's a balance because I think we do want to have tools for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how can we have tools for ourselves and and then enable that to make us feel strong enough to then enact change on the greater level. Mhm. You know, but, um, yeah. but I think that that's a, that's a paradox that, that I was holding and something I really grappled with both while writing and still even in having conversations mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it is the paradox. And, and I will say this is one of the most keen realizations I've had through my study of yoga, which is that a, a strong aspect of yoga is is becoming expanding one's capacity to hold paradox. Mm-hmm. Just hold it. Yes. Don't imagine that it doesn't exist or that it's wrong or bad, or, yeah. or that you even have to do anything about it. Yeah. But just that it ex- it is a thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. Well, let's. Let's, um, you've kind of done a beautiful job of sort of melding your work and talking about the book. Let's spend a few more minutes talking about the book before we have to wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to go take care of a postpartum client. Um, but, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us, um, 
about this. Now, I want to just let the readers know the title and subtitle, Awake at 3 a.m., Yoga Therapy for Anxiety and Depression in Pregnancy and Early Motherhood. So, yeah, tell us a little more about book. Sure. Um, well, the book is, it's got 50 short chapters that are meant to be readable at 3 a.m. or 1 a.m. or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or that difficult time when you, know, when you have a new baby and everybody else is out and you're waiting maybe for a partner or a family member to come home and help you out. Yes. And you're, Where are they? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I told them to be on my floor. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And people always call it the witching hour. Yes. And I was like, that's too cute of a name for how I feel right now. Yes. Like they get home now. Firestorm hour. Yes. And of course, then the poor partner comes home and they're like exhausted too because they also were up a lot. Anyway, it's yeah. just a hard time. Um, but um, so it's tiny chapters. And each chapter, just in in um, the spirit of kind of welcoming all the messy stuff, each chapter starts with a problem or a difficulty that um, a new um, mom may be experiencing, whether it's rage, as we were talking about, or that feeling of rajas, like too much agitation, mm-hmm. or a feeling of depression, or it's just like, I don't have time to pee. Uh, I mean, from the, the um, you know... <laughs> <laughs> from the little things to the big things. Um, I'm just thinking of more. There's, you know, stuff about eating and stuff about sleeping and stuff about comparing yourself to other people, mm-hmm. about how do you, you know, deal with people giving you unwanted advice constantly. Um, and they're, and they're meant to be things that happen in both pregnancy and postpartum, mm-hmm. um, dealing with kind of the pressure for everything to be all natural. That's something that I talk about or that pressure that we have to like, how do I make my baby the healthiest, happiest baby instead of just (laughs) being able to be there for the baby or love your baby, that feeling of like, Mm -hmm. if I do something wrong, it might hurt. So all those kinds of problems. And there's, there's, you know, the first part of each chapter is just kind of naming those issues and talking about how to have compassion for them. And, um, you know, I, I always talk about another paradox, the paradox of normalizing and not normalizing, like mm-hmm. saying it's normal. So many people have it. And also like, and we don't have to make it normal. Like we can find a way to alleviate mm-hmm. and get support and connection around it. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the first part. And then there's a little practice that goes with that. And the practices are all meant to be things. You don't have to have certain clothes or certain props or tools or a lot of time to do um, nice. and they're, and, and they are meant to be accessible for most bodies. Um, and certainly there's something for every type of body that to be done in the book. And I, you know, I say to people, it's a yoga book, but really, I think you could take the yoga parts out if you, if you hate yoga, there's still a lot in there for you about, mm-hmm. um, you know, just having compassion and welcoming and acknowledging everything that's happening and some pretty practical tools for like how to, ask for help, mm-hmm. um, and how to talk to your partner. There's even a thing you can kind of give to a partner in there or what to do if you're actually feeling like really desperate and really, really dark thoughts are coming in. You don't know how you're going to make it through the day. There's practical, all kinds of practical things in there. Um, if you left the yoga part out, or maybe you just like the yoga part and you don't want to read any of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then we talk, I, I talk a lot in the book about like, you don't have to do every practice in here either. You know, I suggest people pick one or two practices and try to integrate those in regularly and experiment and see what might feel 
supportive and what you might have um, a desire to do. You know, I, I, one of the things that I talk about in here is not having shoulds. And so I definitely don't want yoga to feel like another thing you are supposed to do. Yeah. Like you need one more thing that you should do, but to think about things, you know, um, I, I, I write about this in here, but I once heard a teacher talk about instead of thinking about having, um, a discipline for something or like forcing yourself to think about having an appetite for it. Mm. And so, um, what, what do you want to do? What, when you read it, like, is there something you're like, Oh, that would feel really good to do, or that might be really meaningful to me to do and to do those. But with, there's just a constant refrain in there of like, you're already enough and you're doing enough and you don't have to do any of these. These are just offerings for you. Oh, and I've certainly had the experience of just reading through something, including like how to do the exercise, Mm -hmm. like something somatically can shift, just reading even if I don't do anything with my body, there's something going on inside my body because my mind is attuned to that thing. So, yeah. Um, I just thought I would read out a couple of, um, of your little titles. Um, uh, I should be grateful. (laughs) Uncertainty, the darkest thoughts of depression, my baby won't stop crying. And I love how this is organized exactly as Susanna's just described. Like it's just a couple pages. It's a, it's not a ginormous book. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice, the pages are digestible Mm -hmm. and, um, nice little pictures of, of maybe the pose or, um, exercise that's being offered um, really, really lovely. And, um, yeah, it, it's really a beautiful little book. And I love, I wanted it to be, it was something that, you know, the amazing person who does the art design at the, at Parallax Press, my mm-hmm. wonderful publishing company, you know, I, we talked a lot about, like, I wanted it to feel really special for moms. Like I wanted them to have something beautiful. And so they mm-hmm. got this incredible artist to do the cover. Mm-hmm. She was someone actually whose, um, whose work I had seen at the women's march about having her and right. just do that. And it's, so I think it's meant to just be beautiful, like to have, yeah. and I think they did a great job with the layout and the texture of the cover yep. to feel really soothing. Mm-hmm. It, I would say my experience of it is exactly that though. I haven't yet read it. Um, it just feels that way. Well, Sadly, we're going to have to wrap it up now. But um, Susanna, thank you so, so much for coming on our little podcast show. And um, and really, thank you tremendously for your offering into the world of this book. I, I feel like it's, um, you know, the kind of thing I, I often think like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if you just had that person show up and do that thing with you or to you or for you? Um, and, and I'm, I, and I often feel like, Oh, do I have to read the book? (laughs) But, um, I, I feel it. this, this particular book feels like a deep, um, kind of welcome invitation, um, by comparison to so much of what I tend to see out there. Don't want to 
don't want to read. So um, thank you again. Um, yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This was, I wish we could keep talking. I, I really enjoy hearing your perspectives on things. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yes, so listeners, um, tune in, subscribe, maybe uh, become a sponsor. Um, see us on Facebook and check out our, our webpage. We have a lot of little offerings on the website and we look forward to next time. Take care. Bye. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake